0: Kevin D. Randall, accept no substitutes. Of the power cast. I was thinking of a couple of things I wanted to bring up before we get into the meat of this discussion. This might just be the potatoes or the tapioca pudding here. So, week or two back, I was mentioning the sci-fi cult show *Farscape*. That course it ended after four seasons with a big cliffhanger and then the following year they came out with a two-part miniseries Farscape the Peacekeeper Wars now I had been watching Farscape on Amazon Prime and I made a mistake saying that the Peacekeeper Wars was not available free as the main show it was available if you bought the download that's not true it turns out episodes 23 and 24 of season 4 include the Peacekeeper Wars that resolve the story. Does anyone care? I certainly don't. Okay. Uh, I think it's
1: all fun and interesting, but I've never seen that series, and I keep meaning to, but it's just one I've never gotten around to check out.
0: Well, it made cult favorites of Ben Browder and Claudia Black. But the thing here (laughs) (laughs) is if anyone cares.
2: I was going to say they were in, oh, that's part of the uh, Stargate universe, right?
0: They were in Stargate SG-1 for the final two seasons. Yes. Because Richard Dean Anderson decided to cut back on the show and give up his starring role primarily to bring up his young daughter. That's a serious story. So they brought in Ben Browder and Claudia Black because they had finished the run on Farscape. And they had a built-in fan base.
2: Oh, okay. More science fiction that I didn't really need to know, I guess.
0: And then you mentioned, (laughs) of course, something about the fact that you live in Iowa, which we mentioned, of course, is where Captain Kirk is from in Star Trek. And then you mentioned something, shall we say, anomalous. A scene in the J.J. Abrams Kelvin reboot of Star Trek from 2009.
2: I was going to say that J.J. Abrams, J.J. I'm an idiot Abrams, who knew nothing about Star Trek, apparently, doesn't understand it at all, has a scene where Kirk, as a young kid, has stolen a Corvette and he drives it off a cliff in Iowa. And I was saying there's no place in Iowa that looks like that. Not to mention the fact that they recruit him out of a barn. He's going to get through Starfleet Academy in three years. I'm thinking, yeah, it's an academy, you dummy. It's not like a college where you can kind of load up your units and, and graduate early. That kind of thing. There was all kinds of things wrong with that
1: whole Star Trek nonsense. But, Kevin, it's a different universe. It's not this universe. <laughs> it's, we
2: have this entire Star Trek universe that we've built up over decades. And then they bring in J.J., I'm an A- idiot, Abrams, to screw the whole thing up. He doesn't understand the dynamics between Kirk and Spock and the other people. The military stuff they do on it is completely wrong, but I digress. I should not go
1: yeah, into that. No, it's You know, I have to agree with everything you're saying, but you know what? I love Star Trek anyway, It's I, and I really enjoyed the movie, even though, you know, I,
0: I, I get what you're saying, but I still went to see it, and I still liked it. You know something? I was watching it the other day. It's available free with commercials on Amazon Prime. And I wanted to see what I thought about it. And I still had the same somewhat negative reactions, although I like the film. The other one is to show the size of the Enterprise. They are constantly running in the scenes back and forth. Look how big the Enterprise is. We have a big budget now because we're spending $200 million on this movie or something like that. And therefore... They had this procession of scenes that made no sense. Now, in terms of the casting, I thought it was pretty good, except that Zachary Quinto, who's a really good actor, I don't think he caught Spock. And you know that because you see the Spock Prime character played by Leonard Nimoy, and then you look at the way he approaches the role. And then you look at Zachary Quinto, and you see the difference. I don't have to describe it.
2: Well, if you want to talk about the ship, the thing that bothers me about the ships, and I watched that that idiotic um, thing on CBS, Star the the new Star Trek, whatever the hell it
0: was. Star Trek Discovery.
2: Yes, because uh, it turns up on demand. I could watch the whole first season for free. I didn't have to pay for CBS Prime or whatever the hell they call it. And
0: it's now think- Paramount Plus.
2: Whatever. Anyhow, what bothered me about this, you've got a starship. You've got to fill it with oxygen. You've got all this space that they waste. They have the the huge quarters for these low-ranking people. The hallways are just enormous. The plots are idiotic. And the the first thing they do is the main character, she commits uh, assault on the captain And mutiny, and of course they try her and court martial her. I'm thinking, great, that's the way it should be. And the next thing you know, (laughs) at the end of the show, she's back in her position or a better position, and everything else. I'm thinking, if I was a crew, I'd be gone. I'd quit. You're going to bring this idiot back? I'm out of here.
0: Well, remember too, a lot of the people working with Star Trek are part of the J.J. Abrams bad robot crew. You know, if you look at the names of the people that Abrams had in some of his shows in terms of his staff alias and lost. And you think, wait a minute. These are the people who are now running Star Trek, which is that problem. I do think, though, that Gregory Peck's grandson, Ethan Peck, is a pretty decent young Spock.
2: The, the thing that bothers me about this, if, if you know anything about the military organizations, and they clearly do not, um, if you've assaulted your captain and committed mutiny, you're going to end up in jail, period, end of discussion. And there's nothing you can do to redeem yourself. And yet she does redeem herself and becomes back in the good graces and reinstated. So what does that tell you? Well, I can I can commit mutiny. I can punch out an officer I disagree with. And there's basically no consequence. We'll just continue on.
0: Well, look at the Captain Kirk character in the Star Trek reboot. Let's get to something totally different, OK? OK.
2: You guys brought it up. I was just sitting here in all the comfort of Iowa, and you went to Kirk immediately.
0: Well, just think, though, that during the Corvette scene, the guy who was screaming about how James Kirk is handling his Corvette was played by Will Wheaton, Wesley Crusher from Star Trek Next Generation. So I think that's the only role he's had since that show went off. No,
2: he was in The Big Bang Theory. Okay. As Wesley Crusher.
0: Huh. I mean, I'm have- not sorry,
2: it's Will Wheaton, as Will Wheaton, and there, there was a big fight between him and Sheldon, because Sheldon had gone to a convention to get Will Wheaton's signature, and it didn't happen or something, so Will Wheaton became his mortal enemy, so Will Wheaton shows up in the Big Bang Theory periodically.
0: Well, that's Perfect. exciting. If I ever watch that show, I have no interest in that show, and now all the people who watch the Big Bang Theory, who are fans of it, will now scream at me but then they can just join the club let's talk about the UFO flying saucer UAP UAO business that's you know some of the acronyms used for flying saucer okay I remember UAO from APRO from the 50s and 60s they decided not to call them UFO and now of course we have UAP so we can't have UFO anymore therefore we have UAP
2: Well, wait a minute. Who's dictating we can't have UFO anymore?
0: I don't
1: know. They are. I'm like, what? You know, and Jerome Clark is with us,
0: too, by the way. You know,
2: if I want to call it a UFO, by God, I'm going to do it.
0: I'll call it a flying saucer, folks. Let's go back to flying saucer. Hey.
2: I think Stan Friedman, Don Schmidt, and I started years ago using the term flying saucer when we meant alien spacecraft as opposed to UFO, which could be an alien spacecraft or something else. And I'm all for that as well. Let's go back to flying saucer.
0: You know what? Let's do a poll at the PowerCast Forum. Would you prefer to go back to flying saucer? Ah, Kevin D. Randall is joining us this week, as you see heck of a lot to talk about and not just sci-fi trivia, although that's fun. We could do that for hours. With Gene and with Randall, you're in The Paracast. Hey, listeners. I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After The Paracast. If there's a sudden disaster, and you can't get to
3: the grocery store, or they're all out of food, what would you do? You'll wish you had emergency food to get you through the crisis, and that's why we're here. We're MyPatriotSupply.com, America's leading source of emergency food. Our food lasts for up to 25 years, and millions of families trust us for their disaster survival. Won't you join us? Unlike other food companies, we don't skimp on calories. Our meals give you more than 2,000 calories per day. Why? Because that's what you need to survive any challenging crisis. And right now, you can save $50 on our popular four-week emergency food kit. Just go to MyPatriotSupply.com and place your order. We ship fast, two to three days max, and your food arrives discreetly right to your door. So order today and save $50 at MyPatriotSupply.com. That's MyPatriotSupply.com.
5: 800 998 7173. That's 800 998 7173.
6: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
0: So we have two Randalls here. We have the guy with Randall as his middle name and the guy with Randall as his last name. But then we've had shows with two Chris's, so it gets to be more confusing. Let's get into a couple of columns you wrote at a different perspective, Kevin. But that takes us to this series of articles that started with the New York Times in 2017. And then the other day, I saw this rather long article in the inimitable style of New Yorker magazine called How the Pentagon Started Taking UFOs Seriously. But then the beginning of the article, I don't know if you read it fully, Kevin, they start talking about Stephen Greer and his disclosure project. So I don't know what to think.
3: Well, the first thing we
2: could say is the Pentagon originally took flying saucers, UFOs, seriously back in the 1940s. They're very serious about, about it. They didn't know what they were dealing with. They didn't know what was going on, and they were worried about what it meant to... I guess the sovereignty of the United States, if we have these things flying around our airspace and we can't do anything about it. So they were very serious about it until they realized that there was no imminent threat. And then they moved to another arena until we get into 1952 when we have the Washington National sightings, the sightings over Washington, D.C. on two consecutive uh, Saturday nights, which ended up with the Robertson panel deciding there's nothing to it. There's no national security is- issue. And then the Pentagon began making fun of flying saucers and people who believed in them. Because of course, as we know, everybody who sees a UFO a flying saucer is probably drunk, wearing bib overalls and has three teeth.
0: Only that three teeth. What Robert about four count, teeth? Right? So wait know. a minute. Wait a minute. If you don't wear overalls and have four teeth, you're wrong.
2: The implication is you're not well-educated. I know that. The real point is, if you look at the data, the better cases are those with the people who are highly educated and they get a good look at the object. But that was not the direction they wanted to go. So we had this long period where the Pentagon was serious about UFOs and then they weren't serious about UFOs. And then he concocted the, the uh, Condon Committee to get rid of UFOs. And now we're back to where the Pentagon is taking UFOs seriously or apparently taking them seriously.
1: But I think it's all Condon 2.0. Or taking, like what we started with, taking UAP seriously? And really, are we talking about the same thing? Is some vague phenomena off in the distance, that nobody really knows what it is, the same as an alien craft off your starboard wing? If you take a look at what's going on now, the Navy has released a number of videos.
2: And I did it on my blog, an article about this, where a guy had attached a, his cell phone to a night vision device. And he was able to come up with the same kind of videos that the Navy released. And when the Navy says, well, these videos are authentic, they're not saying they're alien spacecraft. They're saying that these are videos taken by Navy personnel and we're releasing them. They're not saying anything about what it shows or what it proposed to show. It's just that these are things that are in our, our possession. It's not quite the same thing. And people just mis- misread that all the time. They don't look at the nuances. And, and, and that's kind of a problem we have throughout all of... Society now, where you don't look at the nuances, you look at a statement and then you react to that statement, not thinking that there is a nuance to it that you may not understand or you have not grasped at this point. And that's where we are, I think, with this UAP thing. They're saying, well, here's these videos that are authentic. And people say, ah, the Navy is admitting there are flying saucers. No, they're admitting that we have these anomalous objects that were captured by Navy personnel, but it doesn't mean the same thing as some people think it does and and what i'm saying wouldn't i say it's Condon 2.0 we've got a situation where they're releasing this information and pretty soon they're going to jerk the rug out from underneath us and say well we've discovered what these things are and it doesn't have anything to do with alien spacecraft and then we're, we've taken steps backwards into the uh, the dark ages of ufology
0: well when you question anyone concerned with the government for this Pentagon UAP task force, their primary goal is not to look for spaceships. It's to see whether the objects photographed and seen represent a threat to national security. So it could be drones or aircraft from Russia, China, Iran, or somewhere. It doesn't have to be spaceships. Off-world is not an issue, although we see hints from former Senator Harry Reid that he is somewhat focused in that direction.
2: But, but again, you look at what Harry Reid has said. He says, well, I think they've done this. I think we have this. But he hasn't seen any of it himself. You see the alien debris. And he said, no.
0: Now, he's a former Senate majority leader. You think he'd have some access to intelligence. But what interests me more in terms of statements from government officials is not what a now retired politician is saying. It is if we go back comments that say this should be investigated from two former cia directors wolsey and brennan and where that come from
2: well what i'm saying who cares because we go back into the 1960s and we had congressmen calling for investigation of ufos and finally congress investigated ufos for an entire day uh, there's been calls for congressional investigations and government oversight of this for literally decades And one of the reasons for the Condon Committee was to end that kind of discussion by saying, well, we've had scientists look at this and they've discovered there's no uh, national security issue, which turns out to be completely and totally bogus because the Condon Committee knew better. They were told to find out whether or not... To say positive things about the Air Force investigation and that there would be nothing of a scientific value to continue the investigation. All the things that the Condon Committee did, all of the things that are completely bogus, because you do not do science by consensus. And there were UFO sightings, and I say UFO as opposed to flying saucers here. Uh, One of the sightings was identified as a natural phenomenon so rare it had never been seen before or since. And I'm thinking then there's something of scientific value to study this very rare natural phenomenon. Uh, when they said, well, there's no national security issue, one of their investigators actually ran up against national security when he was looking into the Belt, Montana sightings of 1967. And that involves Maelstrom Air Force Base, where the flight of missiles were shut down by an outside influence. And when he got to the point where the kind of committee investigator was there, he asked about the, the, the missile shutdown. And uh Lewis Chase, who was a UFO officer, said, I can't talk about that. It's national security. And the guy said, well, I have a clearance. He says, it's not good enough. So they bumped right up against national security in a UFO sighting. And they said, well, there's no national security implication. The had national security implication is, in fact, that an outside force was able to disable an entire flight of ballistic missiles. And the last thing you would want the Soviets to do, learn in 1967 is there was a way to, from outside to shut down the missile flights. So that becomes a national security issue. So we we run into this crap all the time and it's they they lead us in one direction and then take us into another direction and everybody's saying, okay, well that's you know scientists have said there's no such thing as flying saucers, so we must believe them.
0: (laughs) You know, what's interesting here is the genesis of all this. And it started with that series of ufo stories in the new york times and politico going back to 2017 and that was talking about this project of which Luis elizondo may or may not have headed and that's where this began but the question i'll ask and we'll pick up on this in the next segment before that was there any demand for this at all how did this come out of left field We got more to come with Kevin Randall, Gene Steinberg, Jay Randall Murphy. You're in. The Paracast.
7: Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
3: MSA Radio News
10: with Dan Naraki. India has seen its deadliest day since the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic, recording nearly 4,200 deaths on Saturday. As a second wave of infections continues to sweep through the country, India is still averaging about 400,000 new infections and more than 3,500 deaths daily. Now there are worries that the variant of the virus being partially blamed for fueling that surge could take hold in the United States. But Andy Slavitt says there's reason to be confident in the available vaccine's ability to control that strain. The White House's senior advisor for the COVID response tells CNN that he's expecting data in the near future to show the vaccine's ability to protect against this new variant.
11: It looks like uh, we're going to get very good levels of protection from our current vaccines. I think we'll see that confirmed over the coming week. But Americans should expect that if they're not vaccinated, um, they're going to be more exposed. If they are vaccinated, I think they can look at these variants, and and there's going to be very good levels of protection so far.
10: You're listening to USA Radio News. On the heels of a worse-than-expected jobs report for April... Many are looking for answers as to why the job market's recovery stalled. The economy added 266,000 jobs last month, nearly 700,000 fewer than projected. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce has blamed extended federal unemployment benefits as the culprits, saying people are making the financial decision to stay home and get paid. Senator Mike Rounds agrees with that sentiment. The South Dakota Republican tells Fox News that there are businesses in his state trying to find workers.
12: Well, we've got a lot of businesses here in South Dakota that literally uh, they're looking for people to go to work. We're at 2.9% unemployment right now. Our state is open for business. Uh, we need those folks to be able to come back to work again. When you add $300 per week on top of the regular state unemployment benefits, it means that a lot of those folks are just making the decision that it would be better if I just simply didn't go back to work.
10: You're listening to USA Radio News.
13: This is Jacques Vallée. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
0: So nobody asked for the disclosure of some kind of Pentagon UFO study about this thing that was spearheaded by former Senator Reid about Luis Elizondo. Nobody asked for it. Nobody cared. And suddenly out of left field, here it is in the New York Times. And suddenly we have all this that has risen from that. So why did this all start? What is, was it just Senator Reid trying to get some money for his friend Bob Bligolo to investigate something?
2: If I understand the history correctly, it seems that Bigelow Aerospace, is that the name of his corporation that's doing space research, was wanted to look at UFO reports because if the UFO. And I've met Bob Bigelow. Heck, we, he and I drove out to Area 51 one night, bought KFC, ate the chicken at a picnic area near the Little Alien Inn and that sort of thing. So I think that he had an interest in the UFOs, and his idea or his interest may have been that they seem not to be flying in the conventional sense, meaning using aerodynamics to fly, but they have another system of propulsion. And if he could figure out that system of propulsion, then that moves him ahead in the aerospace industry. So it may be that he put a bug in Senator Reid's ear to kind of gather... Information about this. But the other thing we know is that there have been ongoing UFO investigations even after the end of Blue Book. We, we learned about this through any series of FOIA requests and FOIA release. And I'm thinking specifically of the, the mention of, of Moondust. And that had a definite UFO component to it. And once that code name was compromised, we're told that. The project is properly classified and they're not going to release any more information about it. And so it was compromised in 1985. In 1995, in the mid 1990s, we had the Air Force investigating the Roswell case again, which indicates an interest in UFOs is ongoing. So there have been these sorts of things going on. Then suddenly we learn in 2005, I think it was, they started another project with a funding of $22 million to look into UFO sightings. And I think they were looking for evidences or Hints of the propulsion systems, how the propulsion systems work. And I can think of a number of ways of attempting to do that, especially if you can analyze the light being admitted by the UFOs. And it's not incandescent light, but it's something that is generated by the propulsion systems, which is something that we could discuss all day, I suppose, or looking at the electromagnetic effects, which is a suggestive of some kind of a propulsion system or even a weapon system, then you, you find an interest in exploiting those sorts of things and gathering that data. Uh, of course, you want to do it quietly because you don't want our competitors to know what we're looking for and what we're attempting to do.
0: Oh, by the way, Bigelow Aerospace laid off all its employees about a year ago. So I think the only matter that they're still working on is to get paid past due bill from NASA for over a million dollars. That's what they're looking for. But at this point, it doesn't look like Bigelow is doing anything anymore
2: which is not to say he wasn't attempting to do something before, and his avenues of research may not have panned out. And they said, well, you know, we why spend more money? We're not getting anywhere on this. Let's wait until we see what else is coming up. We, take, we need to follow a different avenue. When I was doing uh, UFOs in the deep state, I was looking at all these kinds of things behind the scenes manipulation of the government and how it affects the UFO phenomenon. And it all comes down to power and retaining power and that sort of thing so we're looking at the ufo phenomenon from that point of view and that suggests a technology that is superior to anything that we have and that might have been one of the reasons for kind of looking into this stuff to see if there is any kind of ongoing or imminent threat from the flying saucers
0: well this of course is possibly part of the issue here is except for some instances there like malmstrom and all that we don't see any indication that UFOs or whatever you want to call them represent any threats.
2: We know about Maelstrom because it leaked out into the public arena through the Belt, Montana sightings. But what else? Well, And and Robert Hastings has done a book about everything that was going on with the, the atomic strike forces around the country, the the atomic bases and how they have been persistently surveyed by flying saucers, and we can take a look at the Rendlesham Forest and the reaction to military to that. From what I understand in my conversations with Jim Pendleston and John Burroughs and Charles Holt is everybody involved in the sightings there were subjected to some kind of hypnotic and chemical regressions to gather more information about what they had seen or maybe to inhibit their memories of what they had seen and what they had done. Holt is the only one that says he was not subjected to that sort of thing John Burroughs said that the sightings actually preceded those three days in December of 1980 and and there were subsequent sightings later on as well suggesting an ongoing event there but the point simply is we know about part of it but we don't know about all of it and I think that we look at all of that sort of thing and the hints that we have been getting from Uh, people released from military service and people who are involved in some of these things were learning that there's a lot more going on in the realm of the UFO, the flying saucer, then we've been led to believe, and the government is keeping a lot of it close to the vest. And that may be some of the reasons that, that Bigelow Aerospace and Harry Reid designed this program to see what they could learn about UFOs. I know by looking at the Project Blue Book files, and it, you know, go back to the Leveland case from November of 1957, where the object was seen close to the ground. It stalled cars. It, it uh, filled radios with static. It dimmed headlights. It was seen all around the Levelland area for a period of two hours hours, I think there's witnesses at least 13 separate locations in the Level Land area, that the Air Force and NICAP, Don Kehoe specifically, got into an argument over the number of witnesses, while the real point is, who cares about the number of witnesses? What were the observations? What do we learn from that? What could we learn from that? And that all gets lost in the, the politics of the situation.
1: I take it, Kevin, and just to make it clear here for everybody, that that you are a believer in alien visitation, that it's going on, it's happening, there's no question about it. Or or do you still have some reservations? I have reservations because we on the outside um, don't
2: have the ultimate proof. We have some very good circumstantial evidence. We have some interesting uh, direct evidence, meaning landing traces. Um, we have the radar cases, we have photographs, we have those sorts of things. We have interesting Interesting uh, witness testimonies, multiple witness testimonies. We have all of that sort of thing, but we don't have the ultimate, the ultimate piece that proves that we're being visited by aliens. I understand the distances of interstellar flight, and I say that interstellar flight to our technology, our science is impossible. We can't do it. We can envision some, dare I say, Star Trekian. Uh, science fiction ways of doing it w- wormholes for uh, those of you who like stargate sg1 uh, the warp factor for star trek uh, ways of defeating the uh, distances between stars but we don't know how to do it yet and and so i look at that and i'm worried about that and i can envision a a, a, a future where we've defeated those problems just as we defeated other problems well man was never meant to fly and now um the the sky is filled with metallic birds um you know that sort of thing and so our as our science progresses we get better at that stuff but i look at it from that point of view and i say about roswell for example there i i know of no terrestrial explanation that explains roswell is that sufficient to take us to the extraterrestrial and for some people it is i would like one more piece, one a little bit more. My bias is toward alien visitation, but I still have doubts in the back of my mind.
0: Now, I'm going to ask you about this particular thing because we are going to have a break in a moment. Books like, for example, from Nick Redfern, suggesting that Rendlesham, for example, even Roswell, All were due to some kind of government based experimentation, not on visitations by ET or trips through Stargates or whatever. So let's talk about that for a little bit and see whether there can be some kind of interesting but still terrestrial explanation with Kevin D. Randall, Gene Steinberg, J. Randall Murphy, you're in.
4: The (laughs) Paracast.
15: Schools are opening. So much opportunity to share not just memories of 2020, but germs. Worrying about your child bringing a cold or flu home is a thing of the past. Today, we have to be concerned about COVID. That's why you need to be sure your kids are protected in their school with the one-of-a-kind patented Safe Air Network equipment that continuously decontaminates not only air, but all surfaces. 99.9% decontamination in three minutes to begin with. And then continuously, so if any of the air or surfaces get recontaminated, no worries. Safe Air Network is not only the only system that cleans air and surfaces. It's chemical-free and 100% safe to use in an occupied room. The equipment is plug and purify the easiest equipment to use as soon as it is received. Contact Safe Air Network now at safeairnetwork.com. That's safeairnetwork.com.
8: Mark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're
0: listening to the Paracast. So, by the way, listeners, Nick Redfern's going to be on the Paracast again in a few weeks, and we'll get into more of that later. With Kevin D. Randall, the question here is, Nick has suggested, as an alternative explanation, government experimentation, Roswell, Rendlesham, things like that. Kevin, what do you think?
2: I would align with him a little bit on Rendlesham Forest because that has all the elements of a government experiment, experiment including the chemical regressions, the hypnotic regressions, and some of the things that that were done. Roswell, his explanation, to my way of thinking, and I, I he and I have debated this or discussed this. I don't accept his explanation for Roswell being some kind of a government experiment. When we were doing the massive investigation in Roswell, and I say we, I'm thinking of Don Schmidt and later Tom Carey as well. We spent a lot of time at White Sands Missile Range, for example, talking to them about their experimentation, what was going on. We looked into Operation Paperclip, which was the idea of bringing the uh, German scientists from World War II to the United States to work on our rocketry program, which I have to say this because it's historically it's important that the Germans got a lot of their rocketry information from Robert Goddard who coincidentally had a laboratory in Roswell, New Mexico and now they end up back in that area but there was nothing in the records, no hints of anything in the records that would suggest some kind of an experiment gone awry, that, that we used Japanese prisoners of war in some kind of a, um, experiment that went wrong and I know uh, Nick had done a lot of research into, I think it was Unit 738, which was a Japanese program during the Second World War, was experimentation that was maybe not as scientifically ethical as some other experimentation could be. And I really don't want to get into that because we can look at the United States history where there's an awful lot of unethical scientific experimentation as well in the past. But the real thing is, I disagree with some of Nick's conclusions. And I'll also say that I've interviewed Richard Weaver, who was the uh, the officer in charge of the Roswell investigation in the 1990s for the Air Force. And he and I have discussed this, Uh, the, the Project Mogul explanation and these sorts of things. And we agree on a great number of aspects of the Project Mogul investigation. We disagree on the outcome, which I say it wasn't Project Mogul because the flight never flew. And he leans toward the idea that it was a mogul flight that was found on the Brazel ranch. So I think Nick and I are kind of in that same category with some of the things that he writes about that I don't follow it all the way to his conclusions. And I'm sure there's things that I have written that he, of mine that he does not follow all the way to, to my conclusions. And, and the best example would be, I lean toward the extraterrestrial for Roswell. He leans toward some kind of a governmental experimentation as the explanation for Roswell. Neither of which, by the way, embraces Project Mogul.
0: Okay, so if there is a crashed spaceship involved in Roswell, where is it? Is it in Warehouse 13 (laughs) or that warehouse like the one in Raiders of the Lost Ark where it's just filled with dust because nobody... Has the guts or the interest or the ability to see what happened?
2: I would say ability, but here's here's my thought on that, and I've I've talked about this in the past that and, and and for the youngsters out there I'll explain what these things are if you took a vcr a videotape and a power pack and a monitor back to Mar- merlin the magician a vcr being a videotape recorder uh video cassette is this this thing that's filled with video ta- tape uh, t- magnetic tape you take it back to merlin the magician and you say if you know the secrets you can get pictures and sound color pictures and sound from this device but to, to, to duplicate it, he has to understand two things that are invisible, magnetism and electricity. And I think that the technology at Roswell was so far advanced that our technology, especially in 1947, was not able to decode any of it. We couldn't figure it out how it worked. We don't understand the technology. And I think that as they realized that the number of people involved in the research was reduced significantly, because if you get too many people involved in research, somebody's going to talk. And the cat will get out of the bag. And I say that with all all due respect to cats escaping from bags. But I think as you move forward, you keep people looking at it, you keep the research going and you're saying, oh, our technology now is involved to in this. We can look at this aspect of it, and maybe maybe make some headway on it. And if you do make some headway on it, then you bring in the necessary personnel. Highly skilled personnel with, the proper security clearances and the promises not to leak the information into the public arena. You bring those people in to research it and see how far you can go on it. So I don't think it's stored in the big Raiders of the Lost Ark warehouse where nobody's looking at it. I think there is a very small cadre of people who would be looking at this thing to see where the research may take them. But the cadre is very, very small. And if they make a breakthrough, then the cadre will get much, much larger. So it's out there somewhere. According to the information we had, and I, I again, it would be Don Schmidt and, and Tom Carey and me developing this information, the materials were taken to Wright Field, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. But I think everybody knows it's there. So it's been moved. And the question is, where did they move it? And the the Navy has a number of installations out in the Pacific Ocean which they control complete access to. The best way to keep people from sneaking up on your place is on an island. And so there may be an installation or installations out there on islands in the far reaches of the pacific ocean where the navy can control or the military the government can control all access to it and they conduct that the research in those locations and that's where it would be stored that's my belief on the other hand if we want to go to edgar Allan poe we can say well everybody knows it, it went to Wright field Wright patterson air force base ergo it's not there anymore because they would have moved it so the best thing to do is leave it right there at Wright patterson air force base because everybody knows it's been
0: moved would it make sense to send it off the private industry because then you wouldn't have the oversight
2: you would have to bring special people in to do it i think that you would recruit the people to do that and there would be perks and benefits of bringing the people in to do that i think that you may provide hints or things to private industry that doesn't lead you to the extraterrestrial. that we have developed this thing can you take it the next step um that sort of thing i, I isn't there a Cloaking device being developed at Stanford or, or somewhere where they've figured out a way of bending the light rays around the, this device so you can kind of not, it kind of disappears. And, you know, that that might be a suggestion of some kind of alien technology as, in, as a genesis for the research, but I, I don't know. I just don't see anything that we have in today's world that we cannot trace the history of. So I think the research goes on. And you may feed some of it into private industry periodically, but I think it would be very, very limited to do it until you've reached a point where the industry is close to a breakthrough and they need just a little bit of push to get them into the right direction. then you might do it without telling them that this is something that we developed or something that we found in a crashed spacecraft.
0: Histories can be altered. (laughs) You can go back and you could, as they say in show business, retcon that, history and create one that did not previously exist. And by the way, we don't have Dr. Oaken from Independence State going down there and doing all the research. The question I have, and you're the military guy and you have the expertise, we have a secret that goes back to 1947. How do you keep the secret all these years with different administrations, different priorities, different personnel how does it just go from one to one to the other to the next person
2: well the best explanation is we didn't keep the secret we're talking about it secrets out but the other side and and again in, in ufos in the deep state i explore this i have said repeatedly that if i'm the president and I want answers to the UFO question. I bring in my DCI, Director of Central Intelligence, and I say to him, I want to know about the UFOs. And he says, well, I'm sorry, Mr. President, that's too highly classified. I can't let you in on it. My next response is, you're fired, bring in your deputy. And I go down the line until I get the guy that'll get me into the into the research I want to see. The other side of that coin is, in, in UFOs in the Deep State, I talked to Daniel Sheehan. He was invited by President-elect carter to look into the ufo question for him and what uh, dan O'Sheehan told me was that carter had talked to his dci at the time it was george hw bush for those of you who are not familiar the, the um uh, uh, chains of leaders of the central intelligence, uh, Carter was talking to uh, George Bush, and he said, you know, I'd like to know about these UFOs. And Bush said to him, well, you know, Mr. President, I would like to stay on as the director of central intelligence as you're, after you're inaugurated. And Carter said, well, I've got my own guy coming in. And Bush's response was, well, I can't let you see the UFO stuff anyway, so you're not the president yet. You'll have to get your own guy to do it. And so here was a guy, the director of intelligence, talking to a guy who was about to be president, um, telling him, no, you can't have that stuff.
0: We have other stuff to present to you. More to come. Kevin, Randall, Gene, you're in the Paracast.
7: You are listening to GCN.
0: Once again, the Paracast.plus. Prices are just fifty a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out the Paracast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. If you are
17: trying to quit drinking or doing too many drugs, listen to me. You don't know me and we'll never meet. I had a problem like you once. I drank and used to party a little too much till it got out of control and almost ruined my life. get clean. Call now and learn more. 800-296-1252. 800-296-1252. 800-296-1252.
6: 800-296-1252. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Jane Steinberg.
0: Ah, uh, the political mystery. So did Pappy Bush know what was going on here all the time? Kevin Randall?
3: Let's
2: return to Daniel Sheehan and his problem. He wanted to discover the UFOs and he's working with President Carter. Well, then Carter becomes president. So now, now he talks about how he got to see the secret, the classified Project Blue Book files. And there was stuff in there that hinted the photographs of the crash disks and things like that, that Daniel Sheehan saw himself based on his research with Carter. So the question becomes, why didn't Carter tell anybody about this? Because Sheehan now has that information and Carter is in the position to get that information. And again, I'm thinking I'm the president I say to my director of central intelligence, give me the UFO stuff. And the guy says to me, well, you know, it's farmed out. There's a lot of pieces out there from a lot of different agencies. We're going to have to gather the information and give it to you. We'll gather the information and get it to you. And somehow that information never gets gathered, never gets presented the president because other things become more important there are other aspects of running the country that suddenly take precedent over finding out about flying saucers for example and i think that's one of the ways of going but if you're looking at that i would think the idea of, of of the deep state is that we have this shadow government and the people in that shadow government in the appointed positions The cabinet positions, uh, the the high level governmental positions are the same people from administration to administration to administration. And you look at who President Biden has appointed to his cabinet. They're guys from and I shouldn't say guys, but, but men and women from from the Obama administration, from the Clinton administration, from the Bush administration, that are moving back into those positions after President Trump got rid of some of those people. Now they're moving back into it. So they're now back in control of the of the information. And there are other people who would have been involved who didn't lose their jobs when Trump came in, but kept the jobs now, and they're moving up as well. So the deep state is manipulating the information that way, and it's all about retaining their power. So when we look at this stuff, there's way to prevent the president from Getting to it without saying no, Mr. President, you can't see that information. You do not have the proper clearances, or it does, It's not important. They, you can claim to be writing. We're gathering the data, and we'll get it to you. We're going to supposedly in June have this big, massive report. And I will bet you donuts to dollars that the government is going to come out in redacted forms to the public. There's going to be secrets that that they're not going to allow us to see. And there's probably not all the information in there because you can make a pretty comprehensive report, especially in the world of UFOs, because we've got an awful lot of data that we can go back and mine and lead us to a specific conclusion that doesn't really follow all of the evidence. So, I don't have great hopes for this report coming up, but there's ways of concealing the data by those who re- remain in the government for administration to administration to administration, and they understand the importance of retaining the secrecy of that information because it helps them retain
1: their power. Okay. Wow. That was a real mouthful. Uh, I, I'm really glad that you went through all of that. And so, I'm just going to... S- sort of say some of that back to you. And you can let me know if I've got this right, because I did want to ask you in no uncertain terms, based on your experience in the military, whether or not the president could be kept in the dark, you know, because you hear these things that like it's top secret cosmic, it's 33 levels above the president. And I, you know, I've never been able to find any information to substantiate that. And it sounds to me like you've just confirmed what I was saying and thinking that no, the president has the final say. He wants it, he gets it, no question. And then you went on to talk about the deep state and made a whole bunch of really logical observations and I, I think really good conclusions about the state of affairs. And, and so, what we're talking about here is gatekeepers, essentially, in high-level government positions who use various strategies to keep the secret over time.
2: There was a marvelous book written by a guy named John Barron called Operation Solo. Back in the 1930s, there was a couple of guys, Morris Childs was one of them, who were rabid communists. They believed in the communist way of life. They thought communism was the the wave of the future. It was the way we should we should live. It was a, a wonderful utopian society that could be created. They became disillusioned. I say they, Morse uh, Childs and his brother were both, both involved in this. Operation Solo was mo- Morse Childs turned. He became a mole, if you will, for the FBI. It was run out of the New York office of the FBI. When President Kennedy was assassinated, Morse Childs happened to be in not Moscow. And he's in the room with the Soviet leadership as they're learning that the that President Kennedy had been assassinated. And what they didn't know is he could speak Russian. He didn't want them to know he could speak Russian. So he was listening to their conversations. And this is what I, I learned in the book, which I thought was fascinating. They were concerned that the U.S. government would blame the Soviet Union for the assassination of the president when they didn't have a hand in it. But the point simply is this was an operation that was run out of the FBI office. The president of the United States didn't know about it. There's very few people who knew about it, including much of the leadership of the FBI, didn't know about this operation where these guys were suddenly turned and they were stealing information from the Soviets and and bringing it back to the United States. So when President Kennedy challenged the Soviet Union during the Cuban Missile Crisis, President Kennedy knew about the sorry state of the Soviet uh, ballistic missile force. Because Morris Childs had learned about that and, and fed that information into the FBI. So his standing up to the Soviet Union at that point wasn't quite as dangerous as it would have seemed given, given what was going on in 1963. When Nixon resigned and Ford became president, uh, he, had, he was going to be meeting with the um, leadership of the Soviet Union and he was very worried about this meeting. And so he was brought into the secret. Apparently, President Nixon didn't know about it, and subsequent presidents didn't know about this operation until Morris Childs retired from his service and and eventually died, and then the story could come out because there could be no retribution by the, uh, I guess, the Russians by the time he died. But the point simply is, here was something going on at a very high level, and the president and much of the governmental leadership didn't know what was going on. It was being run by... I don't want to say low-level FBI guys, but but guys who are out in the field offices, as opposed to in the offices in Washington D.C. running this running this spy operation on the Soviet Union. So the point simply is, yeah, these things can be kept secret. Uh, they're kept secret as long as they need to be kept secret. And we have the same people, the same thing going on here with UFOs—that there is this information that is being kept secret. We get an awful lot of of clutter, of noise from um, the outside about what is going on with UFOs and what is not going on. And part of that noise was the Robertson panel in 53 and the Condon Committee in 1969. That was part of the noise. Look at the blue book files. If you go through the blue book files, which are available online now for the most part, uh, and read the files of the cases and look at the conclusions drawn by the investigators And how the media accepted those conclusions, you realize that we've been led down the primrose path on that. We'll go back to Level Land as an example. If you look at the Project Blue Book Files, I believe the explanation says it's ball lightning. (laughs) In In (laughs) in 1957, the idea of ball lightning was still uh, being debated by science. We now know that ball lightning is a very short-life phenomenon. It's very small, like 18 to 24 inches in diameter it, when you see it. You don't see it manifesting itself for a two-hour period in a very localized area in an object that's hundreds of feet um,
1: in size and stalling car engines. Oh yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, we know that all, all of that, and and that's absolutely true. And uh, but you know, just get back to getting back to impressing this point upon people because we still hear it out there. There's a big difference between well, if they don't ask, don't tell, and if the president wants it, he gets it, right? Like. Okay, secrets are kept from the president. We know that Annie Jacobson wrote about that with respect to the Oxcart Project as well. But if the president wants it and he says, or she says, go get it, is anybody entitled
0: to say no? Before we have an answer, we have these answers for you. With Kevin Randall, Gene Steinberg, Jay Randall, Murphy, you're in the Paracast. the Plus. to learn more about Paracast Plus.
14: I tried other brands, but I came back to my sunshine.
18: For the best hot or cold pain relief, get the best. Get a Sunny Bay heating pad.
14: Sometimes life can be a pain in the neck. Or back. Or shoulder.
18: And the best relief for that pain is a Sunny Bay heating pad. Did you know that the American College of Physicians said that one of the best ways to treat muscle pain is heat therapy? Sunny Bay heating pads are handmade with high quality, can be used at home or at work, and have a lifetime 100% positive rating on both Amazon and Etsy.
14: Why take another pill?
18: Many people use our Sunny Bay heating pads alone and got rid of the neck pain. Long distance travel or long hours in front of a computer can take its time.
10: Our homegrown
14: small business tries to help people just like us. That's why we design and test our handmade products with great care before we introduce them to the public. You can easily find Sunny Bay Heating Pads on Amazon. Just go to Amazon.com and search for Sunny Bay Heating Pads.
19: Do you want to give you and your loved ones premium nutrition right now? Hi, I'm Jamel Bookaboo from TeamGaday.com and the GCN Longevity Health Team. Get your premium nutrition formulated by world-renowned naturopathic doctor, Dr. Joel Wallach at Wholesale, or also become a distributor and earn income while supporting this broadcast. Go to teamgaday.com via the shopping cart or contact form, and I'll get back to you with support personally. That's teamgaday.com with Longevity. teamgaday.com
20: For over 20 years, Extendivite has been helping people. Here is a testimonial from Amazon.com. Glad I found this product. I am 51 years old and started getting headaches a couple of times a week. I went to the doctor and my blood pressure was a little high at around 150 over 95. I found out about Extendivite and I ordered some to try it. Immediately I felt better and it lowered my blood pressure and my headaches went away almost instant. I have been taking it now for about 4 months and I am so glad I found this product. You won't be disappointed. Extendivite is only sixty nine ninety five for a two-month supply. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit heartdrop.com. That's H-E-A-R-T-D-R-O-P.com. Extend your life with
21: XtendoVite.
13: Has your body ever gone low blood sugar feeling weak, shaky, knowing you better eat something fast? We all know high blood sugar can lead to many metabolic problems. At GCNteam.com, we have a healthy blood sugar pack focusing on the structure and function of stable blood sugar. Find us at GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. Nothing feels worse than unstable blood sugar. Call 877-878-4203. That's 877-878-4203.
6: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at the Paracast.com. That's news at the Paracast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
0: So Randall asked Kevin the question here, which is if the President says, I want it, Is there any way they can avoid that? And I'm thinking more in terms of somebody who's been a government insider for 100 years here, like Joe Biden. Now, he was in the Senate. He worked with intelligence for years. He was vice president. He's now president. How could you keep it from him? (laughs) Uh, Look,
2: Joe, there's a ball of light over there. Uh, distracting i mean that's a very very comical way of saying it but but the question that was asked was can the can they say no to the president and, and then you change it to can they avoid answering the question
1: yeah two totally and, different questions for and sure.
2: i think they can't say no but they can avoid answering the question which amounts to the same thing so that's, that's the thing, you know, I, I, you distract the attention. We've got to make a comprehensive report, Mr. President, so you understand this. And various agencies are involved. Let us assemble the data and we'll get you a proper briefing. And somehow right. that proper beefing never gets done because other things intervene. And with the Carter administration, for example, you can take a look at the the hostage crisis in Iran. With with the Bush administration, meaning George W. Bush as opposed to H. W. Bush, you had airplanes flying into the towers and distracted everything. If 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 George W. Bush even wanted to know about UFOs, but there's always ways of distracting the president and other things that come up that become a crisis that has to okay. be
1: managed. All right. Okay, got that. So now, here's another question, too. And it goes back to when we were talking about, well, interstellar travel and and the possibility of that and the challenges. Yes, they are great challenges. But there have been studies done even back in the 60s with Project Orion. And there's another one being undertaken now by the breakthrough Starshot people. Talk about sending small probes off to Proxima Centauri that could get there well within a person's lifetime. Uh, So, I mean, it's not like it's an impossibility, but it is a really challenging endeavor, probably even for spacefaring civilizations, I would say. They'd have to be like pretty up there to be able to do it. So, we have guys like Greer who say, obviously, any civilization capable of routine interstellar travel could terminate our civilization in a nanosecond, if that was their intent, right? But Wait a minute. When we're talking about distances, the supply chain of launching a military invasion on another planet just seems to be like, okay, just getting here is hard enough. You know, unless they had some planet killing weapon, which there really doesn't seem to be any evidence that that's the case. I don't think it would be that easy. What do you think? If you're a space faring race and you want to destroy the Earth, all you got
2: to do is throw rocks at it. And by that, I mean just move a couple of asteroids into into Collision course with the Earth, and we have massive uh, destruction. You don't need to have a long supply train, and we can't get up to, de- to up up into space to to defeat them at this point. But the problem, you know, you say, well, we've launched probes into interstellar space, and we actually have. It's taken fifty years for it to get out into interstellar space. The problem, we have Proxima Centauri is what four point one light years away. Yeah, so I to get that. there in four years, you've got to travel at the speed of light. But you have to get up to the speed of light and you have to decelerate when you get to the other end. How much time does that add to your spaceflight? What are you using for fuel? You certainly can't use a chemical rocket. Uh, You've got to have some way of refueling the craft, you know, and if you're traveling at half the speed of light, then it's going to take you eight years to get there. And if you're traveling at a quarter of the speed of light, what is 16 years to get there? And then you've got to make the return.
1: But that's all pretty reasonable. And that's all well within a person's lifespan. And the Project Orion, they were talking about nuclear propulsion and they even did blueprints for the thing.
2: Yeah. But the point is, you're talking about moving at the speed of light. As I said, you know, you've got to get to that speed. How long does it take to accelerate to the speed of toward the speed of light? When you get to the other end, how long does it take you to slow down from that? And that all adds time to it. And we don't have the capability. They've drawn pants for it. Gee, we can talk about the warp drive of Star Trek if you want. But the point is we don't have the capability to do it today. We have ideas on how to do it. And all we can do is get the Proxima Centauri because it's only four light years away. What Alpha Centauri is, what, 12 light years away as another close-by star uh, system. And, and now we've changed the parameters because we're moving to something that's even farther away. So we don't have the capability to travel to any of the stars at this time, which, again, is not to say we're not going to develop the way to do that. The, the other thing I sometimes wonder is, is, is getting to a closer star more difficult than it
1: is to a faraway star. That's a good point a really good point. But one of the things I'm getting here, though, too, is kind of like mixed messages, because on one hand, you sound pretty convinced that, especially back in the golden era of ufology, that the sightings back then and the incidents like Roswell and such represent real things that happened with real technology that was completely beyond our capability. Well, if that's the case and we believe that, then it didn't come from our civilization so it had to be alien maybe it came from some alien civilization on earth or a nearby planet but that doesn't seem too likely so the next is obviously interstellar and then we run into the hang-up you know if it wasn't for the problems with
2: interstellar flight and we had some way of proving interstellar flight was feasible not possible but feasible that's a different question
1: well we yeah. do like like i was just saying project orion they bl- did blueprints they have they could build the propulsion system for it if they wanted to the problem is that they just didn't have the money and there was politics involved and i mean you'd have to look that one up there, and then there's breakthrough starshot which uses lasers and small probes and that's well within our technology as well i mean if we really wanted to we could build a craft that could get to another star system i don't know about in a person's lifetime probably You know that might be a bit of a stretch, especially if we had to start construction now. It'd take a long time just to build the craft. But I think it could be done. And so if we could do it, then there's nothing stopping another civilization from doing it. And who says that they need? You know, they need to go light speed. What if they're space nomads and they can just wander around the universe and they have lifespans that are they don't die. They can just float around and do whatever they want for as long as they want. I mean, there's lots of ways to overcome the the distance barrier. None forgetting,
0: forgetting, folks, that in 2063, Zefram Cochrane will invent warp drive <laughs> and will have first contact with the Vulcans. But in the real world, if that civilization has a head start on us of a few decades, a few hundred years, a few thousand years, they would probably have developed technology we can't even dream of, except in the sci-fi stories. So there's no reason to assume just because we can't do it that they couldn't.
2: And I'm all I'm saying is in our technology, we can't do it. One thing you have, in factored in this is time dilation. Let us say you approach relativistic speeds. Time slows down for your spacecraft, but it's still going at the same speed here on Earth. What do they come back to? How long? So, so let's say it takes them 16 years to get to to Alpha Centauri, Proxima Centauri. It's a triple star system, by the way, for those who don't understand. It. It's Alpha, Beta, and Proxima Centauri system. So they can get there and they get back. So now, what three, four hundred years has passed on Earth while they're making their 16 year or their uh, eight year trip to to these uh, to this star? What's, they're, they're coming back to a civilization they don't understand. Or may even not
0: exist. We've got more to come. On the other side with Kevin Randall Jr. in.
4: The Paracast.
7: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today.
3: USA Radio News
10: with Dan Naraki. The CDC says that the average number of COVID vaccines administered per day in the U.S. has fallen below 2 million for the first time since March. That slowdown is happening as close to half of adults in the nation have received at least one dose. White House Senior Advisor for COVID Response Andy Slavitt says the drop-off is not unexpected. He tells CNN that the key will now be in reaching those who are still hesitant to get vaccinated but that the administration is confident that progress will continue to be made.
11: I think there are a number of people who would describe themselves as sort of on the fence. And when they say on the fence, they they generally mean one of two things. Either they want to see the data, so they want to see what happens when other people are vaccinated. And there, there's great news because we've vaccinated so many people with such great results. And secondly, they mean, you know, I want it to be a little bit easier because I'm maybe younger and I'm probably not willing to jump through some of the hoops that people
10: early had to jump through. This is USA Radio News. During a visit to a border patrol facility on the southern border on Friday, Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas repeated that the border was closed, as he touted a steep decline in the number of unaccompanied minors being held in border patrol facilities. But critics say that's hard to believe with migrant apprehensions at a 20-year high. Congressman Troy Nels says the administration's efforts to stem the flow of illegal immigrants has done nothing. The Texas Republican tells Fox News that during a recent border visit, he saw migrants from more areas than just the Northern Triangle countries making the crossing.
15: Kamala Harris the other day was talking about the Northern Triangle, El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras, and the number of people entering up through Texas. But what we noticed in Yuma, as many of these individuals that are coming through the borders there outside of Yuma and San Diego are not from the Northern Triangles. They're from Russia. Cuba, Brazil, Romania, Russia, and Romania, 6,000 miles from the Northern Triangle.
10: This is USA Radio News.
15: First,
21: we decide where we want to go. Then we need to know the best way to get there. Hi, my name's Adam Barada. I'm the owner of Advantage Gold. We're the highest rated precious metals firm in the country. We teach people how to own physical gold and silver. That's 800-900-8000. Get the best information, the best process, the best service, the best value. Call Advantage Gold at 800-900-8000. Call 800-900-8000.
13: This is me, the The merciless. Merciless. You are
4: listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio, exactly according to my
0: land there may be nobody here to even recognize them and if there is a civilization they may be so primitive compared to what's going on that they'd be looked at in a way that well these are these old cadres from the 21st century and really let's just put them in a cage or something
2: well, there is that. There was another. There was a science fiction story done a number of years ago where they sent out a space probe, and it took them, you know, a decade or two to get to their destination, moving toward relativistic speeds. And when they got there, uh, there were already humans on the planet. And the gag was they were they were from Earth. We just developed better ways of traveling, so they they passed the uh, the original probe up before oh, yeah. they could reach their destination.
0: Assuming, for example. That what we're doing now with looking into warp drive, now advance that 50 years, 100 years, 200 years, as you say, we may send that first craft, man craft to another star system. And as you say, by the time they get there, that technology will have supplanted what they've done and they'll just be latecomers
1: yeah, they didn't get there in time. You know, I think it's entirely possible that that, I mean, assuming that we don't destroy ourselves or that there isn't some natural disaster, like you spoke of earlier, Kevin, where you know we get hit by a giant asteroid or something, that we will develop that technology, and it will be so good that we will be able to go out and get the Voyager probe if we want. Well, didn't Captain Kirk already do that? Right. You know well. Well, yeah, kind of. It sort of came back to us, a little bit modified in that movie. Uh, but uh, and, and, and thank God that they, it saw Kirk as its creator,
2: so it listened to him.
0: Creator Kirk.
2: But, I mean, we're talking theoretically, theoretically right. physics, so like, and I'm not sure that any of us really have a background
1: to intelligently discuss that other than at the very, very elemental levels. You know, I know that you've looked into it. I mean, anyone who's interested in UFO, has to take into account these possibilities. And it seems to me that a lot of the people that I talk to, yourself included, you know, We're not really stupid people. We're pretty good at at figuring things out and using our brains. So, no, we might not be nuclear physicists, but we don't have to be.
2: The the point I'm making is, and in today's society, we don't know how to do it. We don't know if it's possible. And to me, that is a real problem in understanding or accepting um, alien visitation.
1: Okay, we know things like warp drive. We don't know. Well, actually, you're right. We don't know things like warp drive are possible. That's all theoretical. But we do know it's possible to build spacecraft and fly them around slowly. And there's nothing stopping us from building a really big spacecraft and flying it around slowly. And if we take into account other civilizations that could do that, I mean, if we could do it, they could do it. And if, it, if getting here doesn't matter, you know, get how long it takes to get here really doesn't matter to them because they live for hundreds of thousands of years anyhow, then what
0: what is implausible about that is it- they don't have to live for a long time they could simply have multiple generations sure. or they could use some kind of mechanism let's go back to forbidden planet or other concepts of this where they are put in some kind of suspended animation yeah well,
2: it, our technology would allow us to do it today sure uh, i did a book uh, a science fiction novel, a number of years ago, about a generation ship, and the idea was they launch it from our solar system to colonize another planet. But the people who start out in the ship, they're not going to reach the other planet because they're going to be long dead. They just it, the idea is this ship is built so that it can uh, continue to feed the the people as the generations go, and it may take them two or three hundred years to get. To a destination, but the ship was designed for that that specific purpose. Sure. So we're not moving at relativistic speeds. We're moving much slower than that.
1: So, yeah, and if we're just talking about within, you know, our local or you know, a local area, maybe within fifty light years, there's you know, possibility of quite a few planets. But yeah, and so so this takes me back to you know, if we believe that this stuff is going on. And, uh, you know, I find it hard not to believe that this stuff is going on when you talk to so many people who've experienced it firsthand and you do the kind of research, especially the kind of research that you've done. I mean, mine has been very casual compared to yours. So, you know, maybe I'm missing a few things, but I just don't think it's reasonable to to think that this stuff isn't happening and that people are all just misperceiving things that are mundane every day craft or phenomena. I I do believe that these craft are real. So if that's the case and we're not making them, where are they coming from then? The difference here is
2: I'm looking at it from a, well, a different perspective. Okay. Uh, I look at the, I look at the evidence that we we've been able to amass as civilians. I don't know what the government may be, have hidden away. But looking at that, you know, I I see all of that sort of thing. There's some very interesting photographs. There's landing traces. There's interaction with the environment. There's multiple chains of evidence leading us to these conclusions that there's something going on that seems to be extraterrestrial. For me, I set the bar a little bit higher to I would like something more concrete to say, yes, definitely they're here. I will concede the point that it appears we're being visited by aliens. I have no I have no qualms about conceding that point. The evidence seems to take us in that direction, and I can see the manipulation of the information by various agencies to lead us to a different conclusion. I get that as well. I'm just saying to to be 100% positive, we need I need I need Something a little bit more. Others say the evidence, the preponderance of the evidence is in the favor of alien visitation, and I embrace
1: that completely. Okay, all right, I get it. I think we're on the same page then, because I will often say to people, okay, I fully admit that we don't have the verifiable material, scientifically valid evidence to prove alien visitation is a reality. Okay, fine, we don't have that, but I still think. The rest of it is good enough to prove it to me
0: personally. Now, The thing I would wonder here, too, is we talk here. Guys, we're talking here in a very U.S.-centric kind of approach. Of course, Randall's in Canada, but even then. And we have to realize here, whatever we're doing and whatever we know inside the government, there are players out there elsewhere in the world who have their own priorities and may find it important or necessary to reveal things that we don't want to reveal. We can't stop that unless there's a worldwide conspiracy, which I rather doubt. What do you think, Kevin?
2: We get back to the deep state then. And what what is the purpose of the deep state? To retain power. And you're going to have the same motivation in all these various countries in the world so how do i retain power if i present the evidence that aliens are visiting it does that enhance my position does that that is increase my power or does that harm me in some fashion and so it's all about personal motivation or individual motivation and it may be again a very very american centric point of view but what if the only real UFO crash was Roswell in 1947. We're in possession of the actual proof. And the other countries don't have, they have some of the evidence, but they don't have that final bit of evidence, that that, that concrete bit of evidence. In um, A number of years ago, the Australians, and I say decades ago, were looking at um, the work of Don Kehoe suggesting that the ufos were alien spacecraft and the australian air force approached the american air force and asked about that and what the american air force did was run down kehoe well you know he's a clown you can't believe anything he says he doesn't know what he's talking about but here's the truth and the australian air force said okay thank you very much and they said yeah there's nothing to it
0: we have something to this you'll find out as you listen to it gene kevin randall you're in the Paracast.
7: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit gcnlive.com today.
0: Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code
6: More at rockoids.com. That's rockoids, R O C K O
19: I D S.com. Do you want to give you and your loved ones premium nutrition right now? Hi, I'm Jamel Bookaboo from TeamGaday.com and the GCN Longevity Health Team. Get your premium nutrition formulated by world renowned naturopathic doctor, Dr. Joel Wallach at wholesale, or also become a distributor and earn income while supporting this broadcast. Go to TeamGaday.com via the shopping cart or contact form, and I'll get back to you with support
8: Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, danpilla.com. That's danpilla.com, danpilla.com.
18: Tehibo Tea Club's original Pure Pau Diarco Super Tea comes from the only tree in the world that fungus doesn't grow on. As a result, it naturally has antifungal, anti-infection, antiviral, antibacterial, anti-inflammation, and antiparasite properties. That's shop S H O P Super S U P E R T T E A dot com. So the complete website is shopsupertea dot com or call us at 818-984-6100 Monday through Saturday, 9 to 5 California time. That's shopsupertea.com at 818-984-6100. Jake was in
12: big
22: trouble with the IRS. He owed how much? 92
16: This is Micah Hanks of the Leader Report, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of
0: paranormal radio. Well, one excuse, but I would think here if a government leader in one of these other countries, a like Putin or less so the head of China, if they were facing some internal struggle, they may find it advantageous to say that we have the secret. Also, there's no reason to think that if the Roswell crash is what most believe it to be a spaceship, that there isn't something similar or better in the hands of another country.
2: The other thing you have to remember is in intelligence work. You don't admit anything to the other side the last thing you want to do is is let them know, even though the other side could present something that makes your position untenable, you ignore that possibility until they do it. You assume they're not going to do it and you continue to march in the direction. When I was an intelligence officer in the Air Force, At Richard's Gebauer Air Force Base, I got a call from a reporter, and I don't know which Kansas City newspaper it was, but he called, and he'd gotten some information over the newswire about an event that took place somewhere. I don't remember the details. I knew all about it. I'd read the classified documents. I, I knew all about it. And he's asking me questions about it, and I'm telling him I don't know. I have no idea what you're talking about. And he's yelling at me for being stupid and a lousy intelligence officer. And I'm thinking, yeah, the last thing I want to do is say, yes, I know about this because now I've just confirmed the information for him, regardless of how much I've said, I've confirmed that information. And he goes, you know, a source at Richard's intelligence officer at Richard's said this is all true. Well, that didn't happen because I just denied everything. And I think that's part of what's going on here is that is in the interest of each of these government agencies. We have to look away from some of the governments. They just do not have the wherewithal to, to know these things. It, it just doesn't happen in their arenas. It's not close to them. They have other issues to deal with. We're looking at, you know, the, maybe the Chinese have something. Maybe the uh, the Russians had something. Or the Germans. Or you know, that sort of thing. We know the Canadians don't have anything. Because they're in Canada. And if they were...
1: <laughs> we never have anything. We have oh, the avro Arrow.
2: But <laughs> I, I mean, the point is, the point is not everybody would have access to all the information that we have, especially if we've got a craft. And it may be that uh, Brazil might have something that leads them to that direction, but they don't have the ultimate proof. And so we're relying on the fact that we have the ultimate information. They don't have the ultimate ulti- ultimate information. I no longer am able to
1: speak English, by the way. I don't, <laughs> hey, we have a landing pad. Um, <laughs>
0: But, you know, do you guys have one of those? Like, come on. Kevin, your universal translator has failed.
2: Oh, that's a real bummer. I'll tell you. Uh, don't we have something
1: like that now?
0: Play Google English? Translate.
1: Yeah, sure. Oh, hey, Kevin. Google. Yes. We, we've got a question. Okay, we got another question here. We have this thing called the Question Bank, and it's on our community forums. And once in a while, uh, people still post questions in there, and... uh When Russie Shackelford saw that you were coming on the show, he wanted to ask, I think Kevin spent a good deal of time researching MJ-12 documents, so I'd be interested to know who he thinks created them and why. And then he's got another uh, question after that. So Stanton said, look, there's something to them All right. Most of them are fake. But, you know, he still stuck to his guns about that. Like, there's something to them there. This isn't just wasn't just, you know, some guy that that decided to pull a prank on us. What do you think? I think it was just some guy decided to pull a prank on
2: us. (laughs) No, I did. I know you were going to go. I did a book. I did a book called Case MJ-12. I updated it a couple of years ago to bring in new information. I think it's pretty clear that Bill Moore and Richard Doty came up with this whole idea. Barry Greenwood and Brad Sparks, I think, did a paper at a Mufon symposium a number of years ago, where they outlined the evidence for this, and I think that was pretty conclusive evidence they outlined. And I cite I cite that in the book, and I think if you go to my blog, that there's information about about that as well on my blog, and it link you to uh, other places where you can get additional information. But I think the the real point is. Greenwood and Sparks got into Bob Pratt's papers. and Bob Pratt was, at one time, he was the editor of the MUFON Journal. Uh, he was a reporter for the National Enquirer who did the UFO stuff. He was very interested in UFOs. He'd done a lot of work. He and um, Bill Moore sat down in 1980 to write a book about a Air Force Office of Special Intelligence, of a special investigation guy who gets on to the secret of UFOs and uh, and the committee that they were he was chasing was MJ 12 or something like this. But the book never went anywhere. It didn't do anything. It never got finished. And when the MJ12 stuff broke, Pratt went back to Bill Moore and says, "You yeah, maybe we got to dust off our manuscript because, you know, it talks about this, this sort of thing. There's no evidence of MJ12 that we can find in any documentation that isn't questioned. The um, idea that the person who created these documents um, had to have some kind of inside knowledge is untrue. All you needed was an access to some some documentation that you could manipulate and you could alter to make it look like MJ-12 was something. And, and Bill Moore admitted to, to uh, retyping a document that mentioned MJ-12, admitted it to um, Dick Hall, uh, that sort of thing. Here's the other thing. Here's the other thing I forgot. And and this is the important, really important part. Bill Moore had gone to a number of people. Stan Friedman being one of them. A couple of other people. uh, Brad Sparks may have been one of them as well. And said that he was thinking of creating a Roswell-like document because he'd come up against a brick wall and he couldn't take the investigation any further than he had, which showed a real lack of imagination in the investigative process. But he was going to create a fake document and leak it into the Public arena, and then say to these guys, "Well, you know, it, the information is out, so you might as well tell me about it."
1: Right, shake the lo- tree and see what falls out.
2: Yeah, and lo and behold, pretty soon uh, Bill Moore's got an MJ12 document. This is really odd. In fact, it was Stan Friedman who told me that. And later on, I talked to Friedman about it, and he said, "No, I never said anything like that." And I said, "I was sitting there in the room when you told me about
1: it." <laughs> well, yeah. so do you think Stan was then just sort of like a pawn in the game? Because I mean, he he talks about actually making plans to go visit the National Archives in person and going there and and then finding some of his information there. So, you know, what was it? These people knew he was going there, decided that they'd get he there didn't, first, he didn't, plan he the he documents for Stan to he find.
2: Didn't find. He didn't find any documents in the
1: National Archives. Well, he writes about it in his book. what? No, the person found it was Bill Moore. No, he writes about I mean, it himself. Like he went there. Like, the, but well, yes, uh, he went there. I went there.
2: Right. And that's and so, not the point. The point is when he went to do the research, the only document he could find was the Cutler Twining memo, which had been, but but Bill Moore had already been there, and it was clear that Bill Moore planted that in uh, the National Archives.
1: All right. Uh, Anything Stan did find, it was planted, and these guys are just sort of pulled one over on him. Is or Stan do you think he was a willing participant? What did to Stan find? I'd have to go back and, and get my reference books. You know, I don't have that specific he, of he memory. was memory. He was relying
2: on Bill Moore to find right. this stuff. So when he talks about finding stuff in the National Archives, it's Bill Moore who found it. He found it in there with a, a, a Sheehan. What's his face?
0: What bothers me about Stan, and, you know, I don't like to speak ill of the dead. I liked him. He was a fun guy to talk to. We had him on the show a number of times. He never gave up his advocacy of MJ-12, even when all this stuff came out, the work you did, etc., indicating the clear sources of it. He never gave up on it.
2: Well, it was the same way with Gerald Anderson. We proved Gerald Anderson lied repeatedly about his involvement on the Plains of San Augustine. And right, Stan, yeah. yeah. And, and, and Stan, finally, they put a note in um, the Mufon Journal, uh, uh, Don Berliner and Stan Friedman did, About repudiating the Anderson testimony, later Stan Friedman still saying, "Well, Gerald knew something. No, Gerald didn't know anything. He lied about his involvement in the Navy being a Navy SEAL. He forged documents. He lied about being in uh, uh, Winford Buskirk. Buskirk, uh, Yeah, Buskirk." uh, anthropology class at the Albuquerque high school oh my god we put him in the same classroom and 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 Anderson did I know it wasn't me Stan knew that Stan <laughs> knew that because I have a letter from from Buskirk who said that, he had, that uh, Stan had talked to the same people at the Albuquerque high school I did, and they told me that, that um, Anderson had taken the anthropology class, Buskirk's anthropology class, in the fall semester, and he took French in the spring semester. Stan knew that. Knew that we'd put him in the same classroom, and he still said, well, Anderson Anderson was telling the truth. No, Anderson was making this stuff up. He forged documents, for God's sakes.
23: Oh,
1: okay, so okay, real, that's really great, and we can come on, We could go on with that a little bit more. But Rusty's got another question here, too. And have we got time for this, Gene, or should we do it
0: after the break? Or? Let's do it after we, the break, okay? We okay. have one more question. And this you know relates to a similar thing, and I have something I want to bring up from... An article from the debrief, which will be quite relevant. We have Kevin Randall, Gene Steinberg, and the one and only J. Randall Murphy. You're in the Paracast.
7: Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
6: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Jane Steinberg.
0: Okay, Randall, you have another question from one of our listeners at the Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. In our question bank, go ahead.
1: Absolutely, yes. Rusty Shackelford asks, as part two of his question on MJ-12, Also, I'd be interested in Kevin's thoughts on Bill Moore's revelation that his intelligence contact, known by the codename Falcon, was in fact CIA spymaster Harry Rositsky. Does he believe this to be true? Meaning, do you believe that to be true? Kevin, take it away. No. <laughs> that was easy.
2: Did, did, and, and, and Rusty, I don't mean okay. to be condescending here, but did you look at Bill's, Bill Moore's speech from the 1989 symposium in Las Vegas, where he admitted that he was making up stuff and uh, working with the AFOSI to feed false information into the uh, UFO community? Bill Moore actually accused me of spying on APRO for crying out loud. Bill Moore was on the board of directors of APRO at one point, and I think because he lived in Arizona and the Lorenzans lived in Arizona, he said that he was feeding information from APRO into the AFOSI, a- and he said, I always suspected there was somebody else doing it, and I think it was Kevin Randall. wasn't me. I wasn't. Lorenzans were my friends. I would have never have done that. But the MJ-12 thing is, is a complete fabrication, so anything that leads you in those directions is probably not true. I, I think Stan was the last... Well, I guess the Ryan Ryan and Robert Woods are still kind of supportive of MJ12, but I noticed their website. I I have visited their website in six or seven months, but they, it hadn't been updated at that point for a year or more. So I think they've kind of moved away from that, and maybe other things have gotten their interest, or there's other things they need
1: to do. Interesting, though, because you know when you're talking about the deep state. I mean, we're kind of talking about the same sort of an idea, that there is this this cabal that that isn't obvious, that is behind the scenes and who knows the truth and is pulling the strings and manipulating the situation so that they keep it to themselves while keeping the rest of us out of it. So, so maybe if it is kind of a strategy to shake the tree and see what falls out, I mean, it is kind of actually brilliant in a certain way, and I mean, it's certainly unorthodox, but... It's reasonable to think that there is something like that going on. I mean, otherwise, why even talk about the deep state, right?
2: Well, yeah, it's reasonable to talk about something like that. But MJ-12 is a whole different category. MJ-12 is clearly a hoax. And what, what has it done? It has diverted our attention. It has diverted our resources. It has diverted our research for decades. I mean, here we are still talking about this thing that is clearly a hoax, and we're talking about in, in, in 2021. I updated the case MJ12 just a couple of years ago and added new information. We actually found a document called Majestic, codenamed Majestic, in 1952. It turned out it was a logistics plan. It had right, nothing yeah. to do with UFOs or anything like that. But here we got the top secret Majestic. We found the documents. You're not going to have two code words that match that closely because, A, they Keep track of the code word so they don't do something like that because so I show up at a base and I have a, my, my orders and it says cleared for top secret majestic and they think it means the UFO stuff. So they're feeding me the UFO stuff. And really all I was interested in was the logistics.
1: So the whole m j twelve thing is either well, it's just a hoax. It's not you wouldn't even go so far as to say it was it was a diversionary plan of disinformation by the deep state, would you, or or do you think that's no, a possibility? No,
20: no,
2: But if I was a member of the deep state and they were saying, "What have you done for I said, you, I got that m j twelve thing going, <laughs> I think the whole point of m j twelve was part of it was more trying to shake things loose allegedly, to shake things loose, as he mentioned it to a number of people. And the other thing was to propel them back into the spotlight of the UFO field, because what did it do? It ended up getting them a two-hour special on syndicated television. I mean... It was broadcast not on a network, but it was, they had a network of syndicated uh, cable channels that broadcast this thing back in um, eight, 1989, 1990, something like that. And they had all the players. Jesse Marcel Jr. was there. We had some of the, the clowns that supposedly were members of the Aviary, which is what they called the uh, MJ12 guys. Uh, who were feeding them information. But I think it's been thoroughly discredited. And I think Moore has kind of repudiated most of it himself. Uh, Stan, of course, Stan was one of these people who could not even admit he was wrong when when he was provably wrong. And the best example I have is the Plains of San Augustine. Augustine is not spelled the way you think it is. It's spelled bizarrely. And I pointed this out to Stan once. I said, "Well, you know, you, you historically misspell San Augustine." And Stan says, "Well, it's printed that way on my maps." And I said, "Well, you've got the only maps in the country that have it misspelled."
0: It sounds like somebody taking a sharpie pen to a weather map and moving a hurricane to a different location. But I don't want to be political.
2: Well, if you're going to be political, we got a, we got an empty suit running running the country now. So there you go. That's the other side of the coin.
0: Whatever it is, regardless, at this point, we can argue about that for the rest of time and never come to a conclusion. I have something I want to bring up since we got into MJ-12, and this is related also to the government, reality or not. The story from the debrief, and this is MJ Benias, Tim McMillan, and Micah Hanks and their website. It says, the Department of Defense Office of the Inspector General has announced the launch of a formal evaluation into the Pentagon's actions regarding unidentified aerial phenomena, or UAP. According to a memorandum provided to the debrief and then released by the Inspector General, the objective of this evaluation is to determine the extent to which the DOD has taken actions regarding unidentified aerial phenomena. Does that mean anything? (laughs) <laughs> it sounds
2: like a lot of gobbledygook. No, I think I think it's important that they're admitting that there's something going on, but that doesn't lead us to the extraterrestrial. And we've got the, the, the idea that they're going to release, as I mentioned earlier, that we released that report in June. Uh, about their investigation and they're supposedly go, supposed to update it every six months or something like that i'll be surprised what it does but it, it's an interesting that the government is coming out and saying things like that and we're going to investigate these things i thought we took care of that with the content committee they discovered there was no national security implications there was nothing to it and you couldn't learn anything from of scientific value by studying it so it was a waste of uh, time and money and now we're back to the idea well we're going to study this thing again So maybe there is. It sounds to
0: me, Kevin, that you believe this is going to lead into the same result as the Condon Committee. It's going to come out. Oh, it's no threat to national security. Goodbye, good riddance.
2: I think that's what I think that's exactly what's going to happen. is Condon Committee
0: 2.0. Right, but then why did it all start with the New York Times story? Why was there a point in even running that New York Times story and setting up expectations that, of course, will not be realized? I'm not talking by the side trips into the To the Stars Academy and a former rock star, that kind of thing, who didn't have any hit records for many years and looked to become famous again, or Luis Elizondo, for that matter. All these side journeys, why even bother? What's the point of all that if it's just going to lead to something that nobody cared about?
2: It might be that the uh, U.S. Congress spent $22 million investigating UFOs again, and so they better come up with a, a serious story about what was going on. The interest the interest, has always been there in UFOs. The Robertson panel idea was debunked, the mystery, and people will lose their interest in it. Well, that didn't happen. They tried it again in 1969, and it didn't happen. And we've still got well, you and I are still talking about UFOs right now. Um, I do it on my my radio show uh, once a week, whether I want to or not. <laughs> I don't always do UFOs; I do some other things interesting too. But. Um,
1: you know, it's yeah, just, actually, that's really good that you mentioned that, Kevin, because I was going to bring it up. You you do a, a very good uh, interview show, and uh, you, you've been on Coast to Coast as well. Uh, I think you even mentioned that you've got a regular thing going there. Uh, is that a weekly thing? or? I, I will be doing Coast to Coast again tonight for my three minutes.
2: Um, I do it once a week. I do an update on what's going on in UFOs. And to, to date, I'm going to start off with the... Um, uh, a, a website about conspiracy theories that people still believe in that's
0: do our break we so still believe I, I, in this stuff just... kevin gene and randall you're in the Paracast. do you need a website well you can get a great deal on hosting services with namecheap's legendary coupon code
6: coming of the protectors find out more at rockoids.com that's rockoids r-o-c-k-o-i-d-s.com
3: if there's a sudden disaster and you can't get to the grocery store or they're all out of food what would you do you wish you had emergency food to get you through the crisis and that's why we're here We're MyPatriotSupply.com, America's leading source of emergency food. Our food lasts for up to 25 years, and millions of families trust us for their disaster survival. Won't you join us? Unlike other food companies, we don't skimp on calories. Our meals give you more than 2,000 calories per day. Why? Because that's what you need to survive any challenging crisis. And right now, you can save $50 on our popular four-week emergency food kit. Just go to MyPatriotSupply.com and place your order. We ship fast, two to three days max, and your food arrives discreetly right to your door. So order today and save $50 at MyPatriotSupply.com. That's MyPatriotSupply.com. Join me, George Norrie, for
16: Contact in the Desert Worldwide Virtual UFO Conference, June 25th to the 28th. Contact in the Desert will be an epic weekend of exploration into UFOs, ancient alien civilizations, consciousness, AI, crop circles, and cutting-edge science. More than 130 presentations, 67 speakers, and two extra weeks to view our extraordinary lineup. Get your tickets today at contactinthedesert.com. It's time to make contact. Contactinthedesert.com.
14: You might be eligible for a CGM with little or no cost to you. Call U.S. Medical Supply today for a free benefits check. We offer free shipping, 90-day supplies, and we bill Medicare or your insurance directly. Call now and say goodbye to finger pricks.
5: 800-880-1896. 800-880-1896. 800-880-1896. That's 800-880-1896
6: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at the Paracast.com. That's news at the Paracast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
0: So, since you brought it up, Coast to coast, we have no problem with them. Only if you're on, of course. Kevin Randall, answer the question. What conspiracy theories do we still believe in other than the Kennedy assassination, I would think?
2: I've read some books on the Kennedy assassination. I'm pretty well well convinced Oswald did it by himself. But that's just me. Uh, They were talking about the fake moon landings, for example. Or the earth is flat, and I always thought the flat earthers were kind of a a joke society, meaning they got got together as kind of a a club to meet once in a while. We're going to embrace the flat earth to get ourselves a little bit of publicity. Uh, The Bermuda Triangle keeps coming up, and I don't understand why. I I read a book by Lawrence Kush in the 70s called the Bermuda Triangle Solved. And I I was of the opinion, if you're going to debate people about these mysteries, you should be well informed of what the other side has to say about it. So I read his book and he convinced me. I was a member of the 928 Tactical Airlift Group back in the uh, 1980s. Our parent organization was the 440th Tactical Airlift Wing out of Milwaukee. And they lost an airplane in the Bermuda Triangle. And you can read the books about the, but the airplane, it was a C-119 lost in the Bermuda Triangle in the 1960s. And so we, we were having a meeting in Milwaukee and I was talking to the guys up there, the intelligence officers up there. And I said, so what's the deal with this airplane you guys lost in the Bermuda Triangle? And he said, well, we didn't lose it. It crashed. And I said, how do you know? And I said, well, we found wreckage. Would you like to see some of it? And so they knew what happened to the airplane. So you read in the Bermuda Triangle this mystery of this, this C-119 that disappeared in the Bermuda Triangle, and you find out that it was an airplane that had electrical problems. It went down at twilight or that kind of thing where the, uh, with fog, and they couldn't make out the um, horizons. They were in instrument weather, and they basically flew it into the ocean. But we know what happened to the airplane, and the wreckage was found. So, you know, that and reading the book convinced me that there wasn't much to the Bermuda Triangle. So, those are some of the conspiracies that people believe in still today. I've, you know, I've looked at a number of these things in the last six, eight weeks where the Bermuda Triangle keeps, you know, what's going on in the Bermuda Triangle? Absolutely nothing, people. Good Lord!
1: Right, they've um, got the Great Lakes Triangle and the Dragon's Triangle now. Oh, you know, yeah. it's like one was popularized, and so let's you know, let's find more. It seems like a lot. It's the same thing with the flying saucer crashes. Well, you know, the, the the Roswell incident that that got some traction. So let's let's do a bunch more. And if, of course, you're going to know that a lot of it is just people jumping on the bandwagon to get attention and or try to you know sell something. Okay. Conspiracy
0: theories. All right. So it's quite likely that Oswald was the lone gunman, although that Senate committee pointed to a conspiracy. What about that? Do you think, even though he acted alone, that he was influenced as part of a conspiracy?
2: No, I think he was just an idiot.
0: Well, Um, there you go.
2: He he tried to assassinate a general. Was um, Walker? Was his name Walker?
0: I think so, yes. I used to go to the lectures by Mark Lane back in the 60s. He wrote a book called Rush to Judgment. He was a lawyer, former member of the New York State Assembly, and I think still alive. He must be 90 years old now or something.
2: Or 107, something like that.
0: Right. And he would, number one, say that rifle couldn't have been used because it's not accurate enough. But I think, well, maybe he got one with a properly adjusted sight. And then... Even if the odds are against something, that doesn't mean it won't happen.
2: Well, in Vietnam, we had something we called the Golden BB, which was the idea that no matter how well protected you were, matter no matter where you were, somebody could get off a lucky shot and take you out. In Iraq, we had a guy, one of one of the members of our brigade was killed wearing the body armor, but there were there's no side the body armor we had had no side panels to it. And the, the round just hit him in the side in the right position to penetrate uh, into his chest and kill him. So there's the, the philosophy of the, bill, the, the Golden BB. So when you say, you know, the rifle wasn't accurate enough, well, it only had to be accurate one time. And that was for the, the final shot. The shot wasn't that difficult either because the ranges weren't that far. He had a telescopic sight on it. So when you say, well, the rifle wasn't that good, the rifle was good enough to do the job. Um, you'd like something a little bit better if you were going to do it. The the thing that convinces me is nobody knew the route that Kennedy was going to take until the day before, and it just happened to go by the school depository in uh, in Dallas. Oswald realized, "Well, I have the top opportunity to take out the president," so he took it. You know, okay. One a question I'm going to ask you
0: here: forgetting uh, Kennedy assassination, forgetting Bermuda Triangle, which. Of course, I was a friend of Charles Berlitz, who wrote that book. The Philadelphia Experiment. Forgetting those. Are there, other than probably UFOs, any genuine conspiracies?
2: Well, if you want to get technical, conspiracy is designed to create a a criminal activity. Uh, Sure, the Lincoln assassination was a conspiracy. There was more than one guy involved. There was more than one assassination attempted. There's a conspiracy for you.
0: I'm thinking in terms of something with more of a mysterious connotation where something happened and there's controversy over what really happened. But the alternative theories have merit, which then gets into the debate.
2: Well, well, well obviously, you're talking Roswell there. Everybody agrees something fell. Just what was it? We all agree that Kennedy
0: died, and that was the argument. Who killed him? But why did that Senate committee, why did that Senate committee, was it a Senate committee or a House committee, why did that congressional committee come up with a conclusion that a conspiracy was involved?
2: Because they had a tape recording from a Dallas police officer's open radio, and they alleged there were four shots fired. And because there were four shots fired and and Oswald only fired three, it must have been a conspiracy. And I think they've now analyzed the tape again and realized that one of the shots was an echo. It was an echo. You didn't get more than three shots. But there was an open microphone on one of the Dallas police officers radio. And so the dispatcher or whoever recorded the uh, recorded the the shots from the school school depository.
0: Just think here, though. Back to our UFO thing, conspiracies, hopes for disclosure and everything. If those articles had not come out in the New York Times, if no one paid attention to $22 million, which is a drop in the bucket of a drop in the bucket, if you get my point, if nobody paid attention to that or the article, none of this would have happened and we wouldn't have to have a great fall if it turns out that nothing comes from this UAP task force. All from that set of New York Times stories, it created expectations that otherwise people didn't care about. I mean, we had an ongoing interest in UFOs, but nobody expected the government to do anything about it or have the promise of doing anything about it. Isn't that kind of strange? Or was that a setup?
2: Well, circumstances get together. If you study aircraft accidents, you find that there's usually a cascading event.
0: We're at a cascade right now. And more with Kevin, Gene, and Randall. You're in The
7: Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
23: USA Radio News. I'm Brandon Gunn. Remnants of China's rogue Long March 5B rocket reportedly landed in the Indian Ocean this morning after its uncontrolled descent was tracked around the world over the past week. Reuters reported the landing, citing information from the Chinese government. The rocket is one of the largest objects in recent history to strike the Earth after falling out of orbit following a Chinese re-entry last year, which struck a small village in West Africa. No injuries were reported from that incident. The death toll in a horrific bombing at a girls' school in the Afghan capital of Kabul has soared to over 50, many of them adolescent students. The number of wounded in Saturday's attack has also climbed to more than 100, according to Afghanistan's Interior Ministry. Three explosions occurred outside the school entrance as students were leaving for the day. The blast occurred in a mostly Shiite neighborhood in the west side of the capital. The Taliban has denied responsibility, condemning the attack in a statement. This is USA Radio News. The Octomom has been beat out by Nanu Mom. USA's Wendy King has the story. A woman in Mali
17: has given birth to nine babies. 25-year-old Halima Sise gave birth by cesarean section to four boys and five girls on Tuesday. The non-uplets have yet to be verified by the Guinness Book of World Records for the most births from a single woman. From the USA Radio News Pacific Northwest Bureau, I'm Wendy King.
23: States have asked the federal government this week to withhold large amounts of the COVID-19 vaccine amid plummeting demand for the shots, adding to an already growing U.S. stockpile of doses. More than 150 million Americans, approximately 57 percent of the adult population, have received at least one dose of vaccine. But government leaders are digging in to persuade the rest of the country to get inoculated. The Biden administration announced this week that if states don't order all the vaccine they've been allotted, the administration will shift the surplus to meet demand in other states. This is USA Radio News.
4: This is James Fox. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
0: So, Kevin, you're going to talk about cascading events. Is that well, what happened you, here?
2: If you look at aircraft accidents, there's, it's usually not one thing that goes wrong. It's a series of things that go wrong. And if the series is, doesn't progress in the proper fashion, then you don't have the aircraft accident that somebody can fix the the problem before we get to the catastrophic end, I think that's where we get some of this stuff. There's a cascading event. Not to mention that Leslie Keene has, a, shall I say it, a keen interest in UFOs, and she has a wonderful platform. I think that she's missed the boat on a couple of things.
0: But where she missed the boat?
2: Well, I think with Kexburg, but that's a whole other argument. But I mean, what I'm what I'm looking at here is she's got a platform and and a reputation that people accept and so she is able to publish the information that in the past would have gotten kind of a uh, a wink and a nod and that would have been the end of it so you know it's it just one of those things the, the events all came together and she was able to publish the story she got some information that was accurate and published the information and we had uh, What's-his-face from Blink-182 deciding to get into the UFO business? and
0: Tom DeLong. Tom DeLong, and we've got... I never heard in my life, and I'm an old rock and roll fan, have never heard a single song from Blink-182. And if I didn't, I wouldn't recognize it, honestly. Not that there aren't fans out there, because Tom DeLong was supposedly worth $50 million, which for a rock star is very little.
2: Well, it's a lot for the rest of us.:
0: Right, but a big rock star. And the two the stars Academy is kind of moribund now after Lou Elizondo went off to do his own thing. Now, Lou Alizondo, what has he said I don't want to criticize him. He seems like a decent guy. What has he said that really advances the state of UFO research?
2: Not a whole lot. A lot of what we got out of To The Stars Academy and these things that were going on didn't really advance our our knowledge whatsoever because they didn't present anything that helped us understand what was going on or validating what we believe to be going on. And I think that's where we are. He says, well, I was an insider. I saw these sorts of things. Well, we need some documentation to back this up. What sort of things did you see and how exciting uh, was it? I mean, we can go back and look at other other players in ufology again I'll, I'll go back to don kehoe who did have inside sources and was telling stuff publishing stuff about flying saucers back in the day and the air force was saying well this is untrue he doesn't know what he's talking about and it turns out now that we've got access to the blue book files and some of the other information we realize that kehoe was right on an awful lot of the stuff
0: Yeah, um, there's a story about kehoe which i've mentioned before and it involves our old friend jim mosley So as you recall, Mosley in the early 50s, newly departed from Princeton, where he basically gave up, quit school, quit college. And he goes out there working with a writer to do research on flying saucers. During the course of that, he went over the Project Blue Book and he wanted to see sightings. They let him go in there, take an office typewriter and type out stuff. Now, it turned out, of course, Kehoe had his own contacts with Project Blue Book, but he wouldn't go in there and actually physically type things. They would relay the information to him verbally, and he'd write it down. But when he learned that Mosley had actually been in the office and gotten this material, he threw a fit, and it ended up that Project Blue Book curtailed their... Access policies as a result of that. A story that apparently is true.
2: A, a number of people got into Blue Book Files when they shouldn't have. They allowed um, Don Menzel in there. He had
1: clearance, though, we found out later, right? Well, like
2: He wasn't supposed to take anything, but he was doing that. He was taking stuff out of the files, too, which he wasn't supposed to do. So Menzel, Menzel had access. I think uh, James McDonald got access. But I talked to a guy named Carmen Morano, who was the, I say he was the last last chief of Project Blue Book. He was the guy that closed down the shop after everybody had left. Uh, he was working with Blue Book. There's pictures of him in uh, magazines with the Blue Book staff. I mean, and I talked to the guy, oh, two years ago, three years ago, about his experiences with Project Blue Book. And they created files I think that would be the right word, created files, briefing books on the sightings because they knew what sightings people would want to look at. And so there were two sets of files, the ones that the public got into and the the, the real set of files, if you will. So you had to be careful what you were looking at, but they let an awful lot of people into the files to uh, poke around. And of course, now all of us can do that because the files are online. I have, uh, and this cracks me up, I have a uh, one terabyte hard drive, external hard drive that Fits in your shirt pocket, and it's got the entire Project Blue Book files on it. I can carry the entire Project Blue Book files around in
1: my pocket, which I think is hilarious. That's awesome, and they but, are worth going through. I mean, I've I've done yes, it myself. Uh, I've gone yes. to the Blue Book archives and and dug up all kinds of interesting stuff if you take the time to actually go through it.
2: Yeah, you have to look at some of the files are just like the project card or uh, one sheet summary of a sighting that's virtually useless to you but some of them you look at the detail there was a sighting in austin texas late in the project blue book and the guy had an interesting sighting he saw it for a long time there were other witnesses involved he flashed 3.14 on his flashlight at the ufo to see if they would respond and the Air Force wrote it off as insufficient data for scientific analysis. And the guy wrote to the Air Force, says, what, what more information you had? Your officer came out, he interviewed me, we took, you took copious notes, we filled out your form, we gave you everything you'd want. What, what could you possibly want? They, they went back and reevaluated and said it's unidentified, which I thought was kind of interesting. But I mean, if you look at the files, you're going to look at a lot of them where the explanations make no sense they just threw an explanation on because they needed to solve it four or five thousand of the cases are labeled as insufficient data for a scientific analysis which is not an explanation but it is an answer so that when they were presenting their documents to the higher headquarters or to the general public they say see there's only 701 sightings that were unidentified yeah what about the other five thousand you didn't identify you just labeled them as insufficient data so there's
1: good stuff in the project blue book files you just have to take time to go through them Well, that really says quite a bit, too, because, I mean, just like, let's just think about that then. What that says is that Project Blue Book, agency within the Air Force, charged with investigating the the project and determining if there was anything to it, was highly biased, actually against the reality of UFOs. And yet they still came up with, well, at least in 1947, an unknown of 26.94%. And that included ones seen visually from the air, radar and radar visual. So even as biased as against it as they were, they still couldn't explain them all. And the ones that were, un- were unknown did have enough information that if there was any reasonable explanation, they should have been able to get it. So what does that tell you then?
2: I think the problem is there's a lot of stuff that we understand in today's environment that they didn't understand in, in the 1940s and 1950s. The Childs Witted case, which is a two airline pilots who saw a cigar shaped craft with square windows on it. Right. And Hynek originally said that was probably a light, a very bright meteor. And everybody, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm convinced Hynek was right. On that one, they they labeled it as unidentified, I believe, and I I may have gone. They may have gone back and changed it to meteor. But the point is, we had the fall of uh, returning spacecraft in March of 1968, and a number of people described a cigar shaped craft with square windows that they saw UFOs. We know what they saw, but their descriptions were of a cigar shaped craft, suggesting that there was this. There's a way for that to happen. I had on my blog at one point. They probably not allowed you to go there anymore. Um, something called meteor compilation. It was three, three minutes and nineteen seconds of people who somebody gone through and sem- assembled this this compilation of videos of meteors falling, and you can see them breaking up, and you can see them how the the, the, yeah. the debris spreads oh, yeah. out behind it, so yeah. it looks like square windows on an air on a on a cigar shaped craft. Sure, Speaking of breaking
0: that. up, we have to break up this station right now, or we'll do a station break or something of that nature. Kevin, Gene, and Randall, you're in. The Paracast.
7: You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
0: Hey, listeners. I want you to have the entire Paracast experience, so I'd like to tell you about after the Paracast. Paracast Plus.
13: We've all seen and perhaps use the alcohol-based hand sanitizers. Have you noticed how it dries your skin and as soon as the alcohol evaporates it's no longer effective? GCNteam.com has alcohol-free antibacterial soap and foam meeting or exceeding all requirements set forth by the United States Food and Drug Administration. Come to GCNteam.com. Keyword, antibacterial. Or call 877-878-4203.
19: Do you want to give you and your loved ones premium nutrition right now? Hi, I'm Jamel Bukabu from TeamGaday.com and the GCN Longevity Health Team. Get your premium nutrition formulated by world-renowned naturopathic doctor, Dr. Joel Wallach at Wholesale, or also become a distributor and earn income while supporting this broadcast. Go to TeamGaday.com via the shopping cart or contact form, and I'll get back to you with support personally. That's TeamGaday.com with Longevity. TeamGaday.com.
15: schools are opening so much opportunity to share not just memories of 2020 but germs worrying about your child bringing a cold or flu home is a thing of the past today we have to be concerned about covid that's why you need to be sure your kids are protected in their school with the one-of-a-kind patented safe air network equipment that continuously decontaminates not only air but all surfaces 99.9 percent decontamination in three minutes to begin with And then continuously, so if any of the air or surfaces get recontaminated, no worries. Safe Air Network is not only the only system that cleans air and surfaces. It's chemical-free and 100% safe to use in an occupied room. The equipment is plug and purify the easiest equipment to use as soon as it is received. Contact Safe Air Network now at safeairnetwork.com. That's
12: safeairnetwork.com.
16: Hi, this is Bryce Abel. I'm the producer of Dark Skies, the co-author of A.D. After Disclosure, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
0: By the way, Kevin Randall is going to be held back, and he's going to stick around for a while for the After the Paracast podcast, where the language and the content is unfettered. It's part of Paracast Plus so if you go to the Plus, you'll learn about our latest offers. And we're talking here about the general UFO phenomenon, the state of research. So what happens here now if in June we get this report that I kind of expect from the Pentagon UAP task force saying that, number one, maybe we need to do more research. We'll come back. Number two, we have so far not seen any evidence that this phenomenon represents a threat to national security. Goodbye, good luck. They won't say it that way, but that's the implication. So does that destroy all this new UFO interest or what?
2: I don't think it will. I think they've tried this before with the Condon Committee and the Robertson panel, and it didn't work then. It's not going to work now. There are too many platforms out there for us to use to express our point of view. This show being one of them, my show being one of them, uh, you, you Search UFOs on the Internet and get all kinds of information. A lot of it's not very good, but you can still do it. There's all kinds of documentaries going on. Um, The Ancient Aliens show is still going strong. It's not going to end interest in it because it's going to be seen as just another government cover-up, I think. But I don't think it's going to say much of anything. I think when you get the report, there's going to be probably two sections to it. And one of them is going to be the classified section, which we won't see. And the other part's probably going to be heavily redacted. And so we won't get a good reading on what's going on because there's going to, they're going to trot out the national security umbrella. And that's going to be the end of it. That's what right. they
1: all along. Yeah. We're going to get the usual treatment, in other words. Have you seen James Fox's documentary, The Phenomenon, yet?
2: I have not. And I keep meaning to get around to looking at it. I helped with some of the information on it. I've seen parts of it. I just haven't, haven't had a chance to see the whole thing.
1: Okay, just was wondering because I, I think he did a really excellent job. It's, you know, for us, it would be kind of like a Ufology 101, but a lot of people get the Ufology 101 wrong. And I think he's done a really good job of, of not making that mistake. So it's worth checking out. Going back to the Blue Book era, there was a number of different people that ran it. Okay, and and then later we've got guys like Corso. Now, I thought when Corso's book came out that that would be something that would be comparable to the report on unidentified flying objects. And I was really personally kind of let down by it because I really, to be perfectly honest, just don't believe half of it. Yet when Didn't I believe that much, <laughs> okay, I'm being generous. The report on unidentified flying objects by Rupelt, I believe every word of it. Now, the thing is, is I don't know, what do you think? Am I, am I giving Rupel too much credit, or do you think that there's a substantial difference in terms of credibility there? Well,
2: there's a substantial difference in credibility. Carson has none, and Ruppelt had a great deal. Ruppelt, I think, made an honest effort to investigate UFOs, and but I think he was also inhibited by the Air Force when he went to publish his book, and he needed to get clearance from the government to publish it. And there were things that he couldn't say. I get the impression that he was somewhat skeptical, much more skeptical than, than we've given him credit for in the past. I found a paper he had written in 1952, 1953 on a briefing that he gave to officers about it. And he mentioned something that was kind of disturbing for we of the Roswell fame, which was that he was unaware of any crash recovered debris that there had been no crashes and recover of debris. Now you can make the case that Rupelt was not high enough up in the food chain that he would have received that information. It would have been uh, h- more highly classified than where he was operating in the UFO. And it wasn't information that he needed to have to do his job. There is something something to that. But I think Rupelt was an honest guy who was trying to do the best he could given, given what was going on. After Rupelt, we get the chiefs of Project Blue Book became more and more skeptical, became more and more hostile to the idea of alien visitation or flying saucers being spaceships, so that the attitude of the investigations changed radically as well. And I think there was pressure from higher ops to uh, explain everything. There's a document in the Project Blue Book files that I saw where one of the officers is recommending that possible or probable answers for a UFO sighting should be accepted. You know, well, it could have been a balloon, but we're not sure. We cannot find anything to prove it's a balloon, but we think it, it sounds like a balloon, so it's a balloon, that kind of thing. And you can see where actually uh, cases were changed from possible to probable to, yeah, it's that kind of thing. The Lubbock Lights explanation, and Rupo said that he knew what the answer was, and it wasn't spacecraft. And when you saw his notes, I think, uh, mike swords may have them now but at one point they were put up for sale and a number of different organizations bought the notes and you can go through it and you can see his notes for his book and the idea that what the lubbock lights were were fireflies which is totally preposterous but he seemed to accept that explanation and so we look at all of that sort of thing so i think RuPaul did a good job i think he tried to do a good job i think he may have been pressured from above and, and there's examples of that at washington nationals he happened to be in washington dc After the first night, I think, and he called his headquarters back at Dayton, Ohio, asking for permission to stay overnight. They said, no, you can't come back now or you're going to be considered AWOL. So here he was, the investigator of UFOs, a massive UFO sighting in Washington, D.C. He's on the scene, but he has to leave because his orders didn't cover the subsequent days. His order says he had to return on this date and they held him to it. So there was that going on as well.
0: I'm going to want to ask you when we get into our premium show, More about this, but maybe we can have a quick answer in the remaining two minutes or so. Have you looked into the exotic theories of UFOs, time travelers, interdimensional time travelers, or even the collective unconscious?
2: I've looked at some of those. I say my favorite theory is time travelers. I don't think it's right. I don't think time travel is possible other than the way we're doing it now, which is we're traveling in toward the future at all times. I don't think you can travel back into the past, but that's my personal theory. But I like that idea that they're time travelers. I've done a couple of science fiction stories about it. I got a blog called the science fiction site, blogspot.com, a science fiction story there about time traveling into the past thing. So I've always been fascinated by that sort of thing. Interdimensional makes some sense because they don't have to defeat the distances of interstellar flight, but I still lean more towards the nuts and bolts aspect of it.
0: If we can only prove it, Kevin Randall, to give our listeners a little picture about where they can find more of your stuff.
2: UFOs in the Deep State came out May 1st. It's available at Amazon and your bookstores. It seems to be doing quite well. My blog is www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. I think there's over a 1,000 posts on the blog for you to look at, mostly dealing with UFOs, but some other esoteric as well. I do the science fiction site, which is all one words, um, sciencefictionsite.blogspot.com with science fiction stories I've written and aspects of science fiction that interest me. And I do one called VietnamGroundZero.blogspot.com, which is the relatively true stories of my uh, adventures in Vietnam or my tour in Vietnam. You have an idea what that was all about. Oh, and don't forget Roswell in the 21st century about the Roswell case and Encounter in the Desert about the Alani uh, Zamora sightings.
0: Relatively true stories. We're going to want to explore that on After the cast when we get to some of the others, okay? You can find us on Twitter if you look for the cast. You can also... Find us on Facebook. We're not banned from Facebook. I guess we have to incite violence first before you can be banned from Facebook. It's really hard to get banned from Facebook, actually, unless you really do some pretty oppressive things. We also have branded merchandise, folks. Go to the shop. That's the paracast.shop. We offer four different logos. And if you click on each logo on the site, you choose then the things you want. You want the bed for your dog, a med- small and medium sized dog. By the way, we also have some throw pillows, and we have T-shirts and all sorts of goodies. Good prices, good quality merchandise. The Paracast shop. We also have, as we mentioned, because Kevin will be back on it, the after the Paracast podcast available to subscribers of the Paracast Plus. Go to the Paracast Plus. We also offer this show free of the network ads. How about that? And we've changed our offers because we no longer have the coupon codes for the Phenomenon. So for a five-year subscription to the PowerCast Plus, I'll give you a $10 Amazon gift card. For a lifetime subscription to the PowerCast Plus, I'll give you a $20 Amazon gift card. I think Amazon should give us some money for that since we're giving them money. Any case, go to the Plus. Once again, the Plus. Kevin D. Randall, it's always just wonderful to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us.
2: Thank well, Thank you.